A Muslim eight-year-old received 99 lashes for acts contrary to chastity. An Iranian man found with a Bible in his car was severely beaten. We'll ask Robert Spencer if Islam is, as some claim, a peaceful religion. And how does our culture discourage boys and men from becoming true men? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. And the religious right is trying to turn America's certificate of freedom from clerical domination into America's baptismal certificate. He's talking about the Declaration of Independence. That's Alan Dershowitz. He teaches at Harvard Law School. He's a leading liberal in America. And he's written a book called Blasphemy, How the Religious Right is Hijacking the Declaration of Independence. Here's more from Alan Dershowitz. Well, you know, the religious right for years has tried to recreate Jesus in their own image first. They try to make him into a gun-toting, immigrant-bashing, uh, tax-cutting, right-wing <laughs> conservative. And All right, that's enough of that. But you're going to get the full load tomorrow. Tomorrow night, a debate. We have an exclusive interview with Alan Dershowitz, one of the leading liberal de- civil defense attorneys in America. And he's written this book against conservatives called Blasphemy, How the Religious Right has Hijacked the Declaration of Independence. And the debate, I'm asking the questions. We have Professor Dershowitz's answers, and we have two men who are going to respond to those answers. Dr. Richard Land, for the first half hour, will respond to the Dershowitz answers. It'll be a debate. And then the second hour, we will have David Barton, an expert on America our godly heritage, the Judeo-Christian worldview. We're excited about these interviews. Tomorrow, the entire show devoted to this topic. You do not want to miss it. Five o'clock tomorrow night. You know, it's been so interesting with this CNN special. It's sort of the same theme where there's this major criticism of Christians or any kind of religion being involved in government, in policies, in world affairs. So uh, this is something that people are talking about and thinking about. And tomorrow night, I think, is going to be a great show. I want to, like, promo something coming up later in the program in our culture, which has been so influenced by feminism. Feminism. 
we're going to talk a little bit about raising boys because it seems like now we've kind of gone too far and boys are being underserved. Uh, They aren't as well educated. Women are doing better and better in uh, education, business, and other areas. So we're going to talk about how we encourage true masculinity in this society, especially as it comes to our boys. I think it'll be a very interesting segment. All right. We have some reports from Iraq, fresh from one of our generals, Brigadier General Richard Sherlock, saying at a Pentagon briefing, there has been a decrease in violence in Iraq. Overall, violence in Iraq has continued to decline and is at the lowest levels since June 2006. Okay, now folks, the war is over. That is, our military toppled Saddam Hussein and his folks within a week. But we've been talking about violence now for several years. Why is there violence in this region? Why is there violence in this culture? Once again, General Richard Sherlock. As we move into areas that have previously been safe havens or have previously not seen a number of coalition or Iraqi security forces, uh, we're throwing uh, throwing al-Qaeda and we're throwing the other extremist groups off their games now by having a sustained presence in those areas. All right, the surge is working. This is good news today. Now, with more troops, when we clear an area, we can stay there. We can keep patrolling, and al-Qaeda can't come back in and, you know, re-corrupt the neighborhood. So the surge is working. But there's a more fundamental question back of this that we're going to talk about today, and that is, you know, with the military operation essentially over several years ago, why has there been perpetual violence in the Middle East, and particularly in Iraq? What is back of that? Is there an ideology, a religious ideology, back of that? And we have some stories today. It's not just Iraq, but stories about um, Muslims, really, in the region. I'm looking at one that says, look, Iran is threatening Kurds. They've dropped leaflets in border communities. They're threatening the Kurds in northern Iraq with cleansing, a kind of ethnic cleansing. Well, we know what that means uh, from the past, that that is not good news. Also today, Iran saying they've developed a smart bomb, a smart bomb. So there's a good bit of violence going on there, and we're going to talk about this question. Is Islam a violent religion, or is it a religion of peace? Peaceful toward us, who are not Muslims, but also to their own people. Are Muslims peaceful to one another, or is this religion and the worldview that flows from it, is this a religion of violence? Inherently, is it violent? We'll take some calls. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. You ask, what's behind this? Penna, let's talk about this story today. Um, some incredible punishments over there uh, in Iran. Uh, Tell us about these beatings. Well, it's true, and in a sense, uh, every act in Islam is a religious act, and that's what comes through when you see these just draconian types of religious courts uh, punishing people for things that they're doing. For instance, this one offense, which in a sense is is really an offense against the perpetrator, this eight-year-old girl who had been forced into prostitution gets 99 lashes because of what they call acts contrary to to chastity. This is under Islamic 
law. So you ask, is Islam a religion of peace? Is Islam a violent religion? Well, this is one of the answers. And then uh, there's another story about a man being lashed repeatedly on, uh, really, the behind while people watch for... A thousand people. Right. Traffic for, stopped. Yeah, unknown. Uh, some No one even knows what he's being uh, flogged for. Others, for, you know, for drunkenness, things that we don't approve of, but the but the punishments become so severe, these lashings, these beatings, and uh, long imprisonments. And so I think that the, the uh, subject that we really need to discuss today, and we are going to discuss later in the program, is, is Islam a religion of peace, and or is it a religion of violence? Is it inherently violent within that religion? Yeah, look, we've heard the president, we've heard congressmen, we've heard others say, Islam is a religion of peace, and the terrorists have hijacked a great and peaceful religion. Is that really true, or is this religion inherently violent? Now, we have an expert coming up in the next segment. His name is Robert Spencer, and he's written a book called Religious, A Religion of Peace, Why Christianity Is and Islam Is Not. A religion of peace. We already got a caller on the line, Sayla from Plano. Sayla, thank you so much for calling. What's your view? And thank you for taking my call. So I'm actually surprised that there is a question as to whether Islam is a religion of violence. I think that question only exists for political correctness reasons, <laughs> if there is any word like correctness. And the reason I say that is it's apparent. So I'm from Nigeria, and in Nigeria, the northern part of Nigeria is very Muslim, and they operate the Sharia law. And I've seen people killed because they stole money, because they really? stole an equivalent of one dollar. So I don't understand how a religion that does not have any mercy nor grace can be considered anything other than a religion of violence. And, I mean, you mentioned an interesting point when you said their relationship to other people and their relationship within themselves. Even within themselves, it's not a religion of peace, from what I've observed. And a lot of Muslims that got converted to Christianity, that was the big thing for them to see that they could be loved, because they've just been accustomed to violence and what we would probably consider hate, hatred. Of and course, if you if you convert, Sela, don't you face uh, danger from Islamic yes. government execution? Oh, yes. you, you'll be naked in the marketplace. And this is true in Saudi Arabia. It's still true in Egypt, and most people don't know that. And uh, obviously, recently in Afghanistan, now, we had at Crystal College recently, Doctor Emer Kanner, a former Muslim. His father was an Imam. He's now a Christian teacher at Southwestern Seminary. He's dean of the college at Southwestern. And we ask him about Islam being a religion of peace. Here's Dr. Kenner. We have to divorce one from the other. There's Islam and Muslims. Most of the Muslims I know are peaceful. But Islam as a religion is not peaceful. Uh, when it talks about who is the enemy in chapter 9 and verse 29, the enemy are those who do not believe in Allah or the last day. That's, you have to understand that Islam is a cradle to the grave religion, and therefore there is no, no such thing as an irreligious act, even of war. Secondly, it's not a religion of peace because of religious liberty. Islam does not believe in religious liberty, never has believed in religious liberty. And even in Afghanistan, which has now been liberated by us, a man that became a Christian 15 years ago was argued that they should stone him to death or behead him because he's become a Christian. No other criminal act uh, was given in this man's life. And so when you ask, is Islam a religion of peace, you can even take a jihad out to the side for just a moment and realize it is not. It does not allow people to worship freely. It does persecute Christians and Jews and people of other faiths. It always has, and sadly, I'm afraid it always will. 
All right, you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. That was Dr. Emer Kanner. We're talking about Islam. Is Islam a religion of peace? We hear that mantra from Washington, D.C. all of the time. We hear it from people at the United Nations. Islam, a religion of peace. But why are we talking every day about violence in Iraq. What is back of that violence? What is behind that violence? And all the violent talk from Iran, saying that they're going to cleanse the Kurdish areas. There's going to be some ethnic cleansing. And then today, major stories about public beatings. Really, um, in Iran, an eight-year-old girl who had been forced into prostitution, given 99 lashes. What do you think about that? And, of course, the Koran allows for men to beat their wives. Uh, that's more or less encouraged. We've got Jan on the line from Athens. Jan, do you believe that Islam is a religion of peace? No, Islam's never been a religion of peace and never will be because they base their religion basically on domination. I, they dominate everything you do in your life. Everything you do is considered a sin in their eyes, and that's the problem with a lot of your Muslim countries, is that they are based, their laws are based on Islam. It doesn't mean that all of them believe in that, but the majority of them do, and then you have your laws that if you speak out, if you disagree, then that's where you get punished, because you're not allowed to speak out, and you're not allowed to have any freedoms of any kind. You know, it's interesting. If it disagrees with the Quran, then you're wrong. You know, it's interesting that uh, we've made the connection here between the foreign policy of Islamic countries and how they go after their enemies with jihad. But even as Dr. Kanner said, you take jihad out, and there's still a violent, hugely violent aspect to the religion of Islam. All right, let's go back to Dr. Kanner. He's talking now about violence against us on 9-11. Well, you've heard over the last five years, jihad usually portrayed as a struggle, an inner struggle, a spiritual struggle, but not as war. The problem with that, that's only half truth. That is, there's high jihad and low jihad. There is jihad that is war. Book 52 of the Hadith is called jihad. It is about who should go to war and who shouldn't go to war. And so we have to understand the definition correctly, first of all. Secondly, we have to understand their mindset. Uh, they flew themselves into uh, the World Trade Center to kill the great Satan to knock down the only superpower left on this earth, and that is the United States of America. They believe they were doing Allah's will. They believe that we are infidels, and because we're supporters of Israel as well, because we're supporters of democracy, which is synonymous to them with immorality, we deserve what we got. Is Islam a religion of peace, or is it a religion of violence? When we come back, a live interview with Robert Spencer. He's written the book, Religion of Peace... Why Christianity is and Islam is not. Coming up, that live interview, you don't want to miss it, and we'll take some calls. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. 
Contact us today to register for the fall term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today to register for the fall term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. As Ramadan approaches, as the September assessment approaches, as the anniversary of 9-11 approaches, uh, we should expect to see an increase in the level of violence as, as uh, the extremists try to uh, paint that to their advantage. But we'll have to wait and see. That's Army Brigadier General Richard Sherlock. Now, it's very interesting to me. He mentions Ramadan. That's a Islamic holiday or a holy day. And I can remember in our first conflict in the Gulf War, we were very careful not to do anything to upset Ramadan because we thought this was a special time, a holy time, a time of peace when Muslims wouldn't be fighting and we should honor that or somehow reverence that. But why are we always talking about violence in the Middle East? Why are we always talking about violence in Iraq and in Iran? And in Palestine, why are we talking about violence in that region? Is there something about a culture informed by the Islamic worldview that makes that culture violent? We're going to talk about it. Well, our next guest is someone who was talking about the religion of Islam and its effect on countries, foreign policy, even before 9-11. And ever since that time, he's done it uh, to a greater degree. He's Robert Spencer. And his new book, uh, great book, Religion of Peace, Why Christianity Is and Islam Isn't. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. You know, it is good to have you because this is something that every expert on Islam points out to us as we fight the war on terror. And that is, we have to understand this religion, because there are even people in our country that's saying, well, there are moderate Muslims, and it's actually a religion of peace. It isn't, is it? No, it isn't. There are, uh, certainly there are moderate Muslims, but, you know, there's a spectrum of belief, knowledge, and fervor in every religious tradition. There are moderate Muslims, but Islam itself is not moderate. Islam has a developed doctrine and theology and legal system that mandates warfare against unbelievers. We can be grateful for every Muslim that doesn't take that seriously or doesn't act upon it, but unfortunately there are a great many who do. And, you know, I was listening before I came on to the General Sherlock, is his name? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Saying that uh, uh, Ramadan is a time to be especially careful, and you were talking about that. I thought, that's very interesting. See, this is one of the the reasons why Ramadan is a time for... uh, there to be an uptick in violence because Muhammad, pre- the prophet of Islam, preaches that it is part of the responsibility of the Muslim community to wage war against unbelievers. This is considered to be something that God Himself commands. And so during the holy month, it's even more likely that you're going to see jihad attacks 
because this is a time when, you know, kind of like uh, Lent for Christians, for, for Catholics, you have the idea that this is a time for prayer and drawing especially close to God. Well, it's the same thing with Ramadan. It's a time for prayer and drawing especially close to God. And if God enjoins violence, then what do you get? Violence. Killing an infidel, sacrificing a sacrifice of war in Ramadan. Let's talk about this, Robert. Uh, let's go back to Muhammad. He started it all. Was this man an honorable man, a peaceful man, a kind man, or was he a violent man, a, a wicked man? Well, you know, that's a very important question, because most people, they just assume that anyone who is the founder of a religion, a great religion, has got to be somebody who taught love and peace and brotherhood and harmony and so on. Muhammad did not. Muhammad taught, as I've been saying, warfare against enemies. He taught the he told his followers to assassinate some of his opponents. He uh, uh, was a man of large appetites. He had between 12 and 14 wives, depending on your count. Um, he... Uh, was somebody who did not adhere to and did not teach many of the canons of morality that we take for granted in the Western world. Was he himself a killer? Oh, yeah. He himself participated in 78 battles, 77 which of which were offensive. Robert, uh, we've been picking up a couple of stories today about Iran and about what goes on inside the country, through the courts in that country. There's one that a man was flogged after a copy of the Bible was found in his car. Uh, we've talked earlier in the program about this young girl forced into prostitution, and then when she's caught doing it, she gets 99 lashes. So what about this law that really abuses citizens of an Islamic country? Well, these things are all based on Sharia, which is Islamic law, and which is considered to be the law of God himself, and thus not negotiable, and not subject to interpretation or modification or reform. The idea of uh, the, uh, the, the thing about the, uh, the man with the Bible is that the, uh, it's the Sharia mandates death for those who leave Islam. And so if he's a Muslim, which he undoubtedly is, uh, for him to have a Bible is an offense tantamount to a death penalty. Offense. Amazing. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Robert Spencer. He's written the book, Religion of Peace, Why Christianity Is and Islam Isn't. Robert, you know, we had lofty goals after the uh, war in Iraq was begun, and, and then we trying to set up this country, want a democracy. I want to ask you a question. You mentioned Sharia law, and I hear some people now uh, lowering their sights for what Iraq might look like when we leave and what would be success. Do you believe, at the heart, Sharia law is compatible at all with democracy? No, it certainly isn't, and that is something that I think that very few people recognize. Sharia C is a comprehensive program for every aspect of life. Anything you can imagine, there are Sharia laws for it. There are uh, over 70 laws in Sharia, 70 separate regulations for detailing how to go to the bathroom. There are laws about every last thing that human beings do, and that includes the governing of states also. And so if there is a democracy in an Islamic country, there will always be some people who believe that it is an insult and it is something that is, uh, must be warred against because it is not law based on the law of God. And they need to institute the laws for society that come from God, and that is Sharia.
do you believe um, we're ever going to come to terms with the fact that Saudi Arabia and Egypt, our so-called allies in the war on terror, uh, are actually um, stirring up a good bit of terrorism as they indoctrinate these children. What do you think of that? Well, Saudi Arabia is uh, one thing and Egypt is another. Egypt, really, we're just bribing not to go to war with Israel. That's about the size of it. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, there are sticks and there are carrots, and maybe we need to use more sticks and fewer carrots in regard to Egypt. But uh, in regard to Saudi Arabia, it's a very different situation because of the oil situation. I mean, it's too bad now that on September 12, 2001, the president didn't announce that there was going to be a Manhattan Project to find alternative energy sources and a uh, thorough, a, 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 a complete repudiation of the environmentalist regulations that have forbidden uh, the exploitation of the Alaskan oil reserves and so on. Uh, this is really what is hamstringing our foreign policy, and we need to get free of that to be truly independent again. But right now, with the Saudis, it's a matter of dependence. Robert, uh, your book also talks about Christianity, and right now we've got a lot of people going around, these different atheist authors, best-selling books saying that Christians are dangerous and we shouldn't have influence on uh, political issues, affairs in this country and around the world. We've got the CNN special, God's Warriors, this week. And so, you know, your book says Christianity is a religion of peace, but they would, they would contend that's not the case. They're equating Islam and Christianity as both being dangerous. What yeah, about that? Quite right. And uh, that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I decided that uh, when I was seeing all these people saying this, and, you know, there were several best-selling books last year saying that the Christians wanted to destroy American democracy and institute mm-hmm. religious law here and so on, I, uh, I thought, this, uh, I'm going to look at the evidence for this and see what's behind it. And, of course, there isn't anything behind it. Uh, the evidence is not there. I read all the books that came out last year, and there were quite a few of them. Uh, about making this case, and none of them actually put forward much of anything in terms of actual evidence for any Christian theocracy threat except the participation of Christians in public life, as if the very participation of Christians in public life is some threat to the Constitution, when in actuality it's just a validation of constitutional principles, which all the Christian groups that are participating in public life uphold, and which they uh, are merely trying to convince their fellow countrymen of the rightness of their ideas, just like every other group in the United States. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing uh, threatening about this. Robert, let me ask you to do something. Would you listen for a moment to Rosie O'Donnell, and I want you to respond. To do this, I think it's being well spent. I mean, it's been five years. We have not been attacked. We're also in a we're in a, on the offense here. We have to be because yeah, we were attacked five years ago. I, was, so I do. Wait, wait, one second. We we were attacked not by a nation. And as a result of the attack and the killing of nearly 3,000 innocent people, we invaded two countries and killed innocent people but in their country. But you understand that, that the belief funding those attacks, okay, that is widespread. And if you take radical Islam and you want to talk about what's going on there, you and, have and to... just you, one you second. To, radical Christianity is just as threatening as radical Islam. In a country like America. Robert, 
Well, she well, said me... radical Christianity is just as dangerous as radical Islam. We've got about a minute left. Would you respond to that? What really makes me uh, shake my head about that whenever I hear it is that everybody clapped after she said it. Yes. I mean, it's just sheer fantasy. She can't point to Christians who are cutting off heads or flying planes into buildings. She can't point to Christians who are even calling for the subversion of the U.S. Constitution and its replacement by religious law. These things are just total projection because she and others like her, and unfortunately there are quite a few of them, are determined not to look at the real implications of the Islamic Jihad threat. But the Islamic Jihad threat is the real one, and we ignore it at our own peril or minimize it and project at, uh, it all on the Christians at our own risk. Robert, we're out of time, but folks, look at this book, Religion of Peace, Why Christianity Is and Islam Isn't. Thank you, Robert. We hope to have you back. Thank you. Call me anytime. All right, folks. Let's lighten up now. In this next segment, do we want girly men or manly men? We're going to talk about raising your boys to be manly men. We're going to talk about whisker rubs. We'll be right back. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. He believed in a creator. He believed that the world was created and that the clockmaker God, the God who created the universe, then stepped back and doesn't intervene in human affairs. That's Alan Dershowitz. He teaches at Harvard Law School. And tomorrow we're going to have a debate between Alan Dershowitz, Dr. Richard Land, and David Barton. Because you're going to see tonight on CNN, if you watch it, uh, a kind of a hatchet job on Christians. They're going to try to scare you into thinking that Christians want to turn America into a church. We want a church state or a state church. And Alan Dershowitz has written a book called Blasphemy, How the Religious Right Has Hijacked the Declaration of Independence. And you don't want to miss tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, we have an exclusive interview with Alan Dershowitz, Richard Land, David Barton responding at 5 o'clock tomorrow night, Friday night, right here on Jerry Johnson Live. This next segment, I think, is a serious subject. It might be fun, too, because we're going to be talking about boys and kids. But, you know, the feminist movement has almost done too good a job in this society. And I think it's overemphasized what we do for the girls in our culture and underemphasized what we do for the boys. What's begun to happen now is schools are more geared toward girls and boys. And boys are starting to feel the effects of a lot of this, and uh, we've got to turn it around, or we're really going to experience some problems in this culture. And our next guest is all about that. He's Don Otis. He's the founder of Veritas Communications. He has also worked as a psychosocial rehabilitation specialist with troubled boys. He's raised three sons of his own. He's written some other books, but he's got a new book out, and uh, it's called Whisker Rubs, Developing the Masculine Identity I've got two boys, Dr. Johnson. You've got one boy, and I think this is going to be a great interview. Don, thanks for joining us. Donna, thanks for having me on. Uh, tell us about why you felt it was necessary to write this book, Whisker Rubs. I, you know, I guess part of it came from really looking backwards as a, as a man at uh, 
half the century mark and realizing that so many of the messages that we see in our culture today are really negative and disparaging towards men and then began working with boys realizing that so many of them are coming out of broken families aren't really getting a good role model for what it means to grow from being a kid into manhood delaying the growth into in maturity into manhood and saw many of them lost trying to figure out with the proliferation of choices out there uh, a sense of marginalization by major mainline media mm-hmm. uh, the advent really i think the after effects of, uh, of feminism uh, maureen dowd's book for example oh, why are, men, are, are men necessary these messages really began i think and have begun to infiltrate our culture to the point where boys don't know what it means anymore to take responsibility as protectors and providers for families once they do grow up. You know, you've called this book Whisker Rubs, and um, this this is just to say something really positive about my husband, because he's loved our boys, and he's taught them how to be men, and, you know, they're blessed, but this doesn't happen in so many families, and uh, it's really, I think fathers don't know how to be fathers today. No, I think think fathers, there's a couple of things going on. One is that you have single moms who are trying desperately to do the job that that they that they need to do and they want to do to raise their boys to make that transition from their uh, younger years into their adult years and it's not really a role that I think God originally intended for women to to take on any more than I think it's a role for a man to take on to be the nurturer in the family and I think we're almost afraid to talk about roles anymore as if they're bad things so we have this idea of gender neutrality as being a good thing that we we turn little girls into masculine uh, sports figures and we turn little boys into a touchy-feely not i'm saying that's a bad thing Jenna, <laughs> but that we've really ca- kind of taken that overboard and we forget the fact that god really has created us as various as genders uh, different for a reason and you know if we feminize boys to the extent that they grow up to be uh, feminine men then what we find is that they don't do their job that I believe God called them to do to be good protectors of their families. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Don Otis. He's written a book called Whisker Rubs, Developing the Masculine Identity. Don, uh, let's have some practical suggestions. I'm going to invite callers to call in. The number is 800-881-9270. If you have a question about how to raise boys to become men... Manly men, the number is 800-881-9270. Don, let me ask you this. Let's just start practically at the younger ages now. What would you want fathers to know about how to train young boys to, to be men? What are some practical suggestions? You know, I'm going to say something here that really flies in the face of conventional wisdom, and it's not that I don't completely believe it, but I think we've we've made it too big of an issue. I think we've talked a lot about the importance of being examples and role models in our families, and definitely we have to do that. But I think there's other ingredients that are equally important, and I think for uh, for men, it's it's learning to push boys beyond what they think they're capable of doing, and you know, I've I've given this example before, but let me just give it to you briefly, Jerry. Uh, my my youngest son and I went up to Mount Hood in Oregon, which is uh, the highest point in Oregon. It's a volcano, and we got up to about the ten thousand foot level. He was about fourteen at the time, and he said, "Dad, I can't go any further." And I and I tell this story in the book, but one <laughs> oh, of the dear. things I, one of the things I was confronted with as a dad. It's good was, your wife wasn't there, right? No, she wasn't there. 
and 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 really honestly, it's probably good that she wasn't. <laughs> right. But what I what I was struggling with though in that rarefied, uh, you know, five o'clock in the morning air was: do I do I call him a wimp and tell him to suck it up and keep going, <laughs> or do I say, look, Landon, you did a great job. Pat him on the shoulder and say, let's head back. I didn't do either one of those things. Instead, part of what I did was to push him to go another hundred meters or so. And uh, we got to this crevice, and there was a, a guy who was coming down. He's a lieutenant colonel uh, at Fort Lewis in Washington. He, he comes up to land, and he puts his arm on his shoulder, and he says, Son, you're doing a good job. Way to go. He says, You're almost there. You're going to make it. And I'll never forget that because by the time Landon, you know, flopped down on the summit and we spent a few minutes up there, he had accomplished something he didn't think he was capable of doing. On the way down, he said to me, he says, Dad, I'm so glad you pushed me. And I said to him, look, you're going to face things in your life that you don't think you're capable of overcoming. I said, I want you to remember this because... You know, it's those times where you feel like giving up that you keep pushing on, and uh, that's part of the role that I think Christian dads play in the lives of their sons. They push them to the point of discomfort sometime and beyond what they think they're capable of doing. We're listening to Don Otis here. He's written the book Whisker Rubs, Developing the Masculine Identity. Don, let's fast forward now to the later teen years as... uh, Really, these boys are becoming men. They're going to go off to college or go to the military or go into work. And um, what can you do at 16, 17, and 18 to get them ready for a measure of independence and leadership um, and character? Set limits. Um, I think that a lot of kids today are not given limits. And, and I don't mean that you control every aspect of their lives. But, you know, I think we have, we have you know, kids are growing up today, especially in their teen years, and they think that they deserve the rights uh, as adults. And I think, that, I think this is something that we have picked up possibly because we have so many dual, uh, dual earner households out there, and we want our kids to be happy, and we think that happiness is something that we can give them by buying the material things, it isn't really what they want. And and I'll tell another quick story here, and it wasn't really about a teen, Jerry, but about a young kid I was working with who was, you know, I mean, he was blown out in the locker room at this gym in the hometown that I lived in and uh, was rubbing his genitals on some of the other boys in there. He was just totally out of control, and the other kids were uncomfortable, and I, I went up to this kid and I said, look, you need to stop it. You need to knock it off. Well, he wouldn't do it. I kept after him. I finally grabbed him by the arm, and I said, look, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to wait until you get ready, and then we're going to go out. Well, on the way out, this kid grabs me, grabs my leg in an affectionate hug. It wasn't a weird thing at all, but it freaked me out because I thought, you know, one second ago I was scolding this kid, and the next second he's hugging me. And you know, I realized it's because somebody set limits for him. And our kids interpret limits and boundaries as our way as parents or as adults is loving them. And when we set no limits, then we, we communicate just the opposite. Don Otis has written the book Whisker Rubs. Don, I want to read some of these practical suggestions on uh, how we can be countercultural here in your book. Uh, stop trying to fix our tame boys. Stop over-medicating them in an effort to control behavior. Provide time for play. Encourage hands-on learning. 
and recognize the gender bias in education. Mm-hmm. We've only got another minute or so. Anything there you want to comment on? Yeah, I, you know, and you said it. Uh, we are trying to tame boys. You know, 90% of the Ritalin users today in our country are boys. Um, I think instead of getting them outside and having them run around a track or play or hike or do scouting, you know, we're trying to uh, we're trying to tame them into compliance, and I think we're struggling with that in our churches too. Um, too much uh, too much overstimulation, and so that makes it difficult. You know, I would say in closing, Jerry, really the the key thing that we need to realize here is God made boys and men the way he did for a purpose. Men need to take responsibility for their sons and for their own lives and deal with their anger issues and and allow God to bring healing where that's needed. But, you know, let's let's embrace our maleness. Let's embrace the fact that we're different and and accept the fact that God knew what he was doing when he made us the way that he did. Whisker Rubs is the book written by Don Otis, Developing the Masculine Identity. Don, thank you for being with us. We hope to have you back. Great to be on with you, Jerry and Penna. All right. If your son catches a worm or frog, tell him to put it in his pocket and use it later in the day. (laughs) Let him jump in a puddle of water. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Penna Dexter. When we come back, we're going to listen to a little bit of Ronald Reagan and talk about Islam and Christianity. What kind of country did Christianity produce? What kind of culture does Islam produce? A contrast. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today to register for the fall term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today to register for the fall term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Thomas Jefferson was a, a man of reason who uh, rejected the uh, divine origins of the Bible, the divine nature of Jesus. He was a deist who believed in God, but he believed in the God of nature, and he believed very strongly in the separation of church and state. All right, that's Alan Dershowitz. He teaches at Harvard, and you want somebody to refute him. I know that. Well, tune in tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. He's written a book, Blasphemy, How the Religious Right Has Hijacked the Declaration of Independence, and we need to set the record straight. We have an exclusive interview with Professor Dershowitz tomorrow night, and Dr. Richard Land, Dr. David Barton, will be here on the air live to rebut him. Don't miss that. But for now, Ronald Reagan will do. I believe that faith and religion play a critical role in the political life of our nation and always have. (laughs) 
and that the church, and by that I mean all churches, all denominations, has had a strong influence on the state, and this has worked to our benefit as a nation. That is, the Judeo-Christian worldview has worked to benefit our country and our culture so we have maximum freedom and uh, a measure of uh, toleration. Not so in the Middle East, where Islam is the prevalent worldview. We have violence. We've talked about that today. And more on that now from Dr. Emer Kanner. Uh, we certainly have to remember some of the taboos in reaching out. Uh, you assume a Muslim is a traditional Muslim unless otherwise noted. Uh, you do not offer them dinner with pork. You do not offer them alcohol. You do not those things which are culturally taboo within Islamic culture. With that said, we also have to remember that Muslims are not a different species than us, that we share Christ the same way with a Muslim as we would with anyone, whether they're pagan, uh, nominally Christian in some way, though never had a relationship with Christ, Jewish, or any other world religion. Uh, we share Christ with them knowing that uh, Christ died for them, Christ loves them, Christ wants to have a relationship with them. For a Muslim, uh, it is the concepts of eternal security, unconditional love, and intimacy with God, uh, which is, is, is greatly appealing to them. They never can know they go to heaven unless they die in jihad. Eternal security is given to Christianity. Uh, they pray to God. They don't expect to hear back from God, intimacy. And they know love. Uh, Allah loves those who do righteous deeds, but they don't know unconditional love that God commends his love towards us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sharing in those three capacities may work very effectively as well. So today we have critiqued Islam. It's not a religion of peace. It is a religion of violence. And that's what you have in that culture. But we want to always be careful to say that lives and hearts can be changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen by hundreds. I want to invite you to come out Sunday night to hear me preach at Fairhaven Baptist Church in Pilot. Point. The pastor of the church is here, Andrew A. Bear. He works on this show with us. Andrew, welcome back. Tell us about this meeting and your heart, really, for renewal and revival in that area. Well, Dr. Johnson, we're going to have an exciting weekend at Fairhaven Baptist. We're having you preach, of course, and uh, the listeners will be in for a real treat if they come Sunday night. We are having uh, four services. It's going to be Friday night. Saturday and Sunday night at 7 p.m., and then we're having Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We've got uh, some of the best Bible teachers and preachers anywhere uh, in the nation that you can find. They're coming to our church in Pilot Point, and I, I want to invite our listeners because they're going to hear uh, men such as Barry Creamer, uh, who they've heard on, on the program here. Yes, They're very familiar with him, or Everett Barry, or Daniel Street, some of the top theologians and scholars and preachers who are going to bring the Word of God and, and just help our church to find renewal and refreshing um, refreshment in Christ and just uh, seek his face again. You know, I, uh, our culture needs revival. I think of Psalm 4, which says uh, in verse 3, but know that the, uh, or verse 2, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? And I just think so many times I aim at, at the worthless things. I get caught up in work and in school and in friends and activities, and uh, I so often neglect uh, seeking the face of God. And uh, this weekend, starting tomorrow, we're going to uh, try to seek the face of God through prayer, through repentance, faith, uh, the preaching of God's Word. And I invite our listeners to come. I want to give the phone number if they would like more information. It's 214-886-0554. Again, that's 214 214- 
888-686-0554. Some of you don't have plans this weekend, and this is a great opportunity. It's just about an hour north of Dallas. It's a good drive, and uh, I think our listeners will really enjoy it. Andrew, it's tomorrow night and Saturday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. What are the times? 7 p.m., uh, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and then 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning. Right. Now, I'm going to be there Sunday night. I'm going to be looking for you. And if and if you come out on Sunday night, be sure and come up and tell me who you are and that you listen to Jerry Johnson Live. You'll also meet Andrew A. Barry. He does all of the booking for this show. He's a pastor of this church, Fairhaven Baptist Church in Pilot Point. He's also a student here at Criswell College. You know, Andrew, I want to talk for a minute more about revival. Another verse in the psalm says, you know, will you not revive us again that thy people might rejoice in thee? You know, I come from a tradition and a background. It's a good one. But we get uh, a mindset that revival is about two weeks of meeting or one week of meetings. Maybe a lot of people come or we'll see some baptisms or money will come into the church. And I think a lot of times people have expectations, you know, of what revival is. But in that psalm, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revival is a time of us coming back to God, of us finding enjoyment in God, of finding uh, peace in God, finding um, life again in God. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in thee. And that's my prayer and my goal for Sunday night. If you come out, we won't be talking about politics on Sunday night. We'll be talking about God. We'll be talking about Jesus. I'm going to be talking about the Word of God, how the Word of God, once again, can give you joy, can give you power, can give you victory. And my goal, my prayer is that you'll leave that meeting rejoicing in the Lord in the Lord. Charles Finney said that revival is simply this, that you can come into the place in your life where you say, I am completely obedient to Christ. And uh, we'll we'll be doing that this weekend and uh, further as well. Again, the number, if you'd like more information, 214-886-0554. All right, folks, I have got to uh, tell you, I'm looking forward to this meeting. I'm inviting you personally to join me at Fairhaven Baptist Church in Pilot Point uh, Sunday night, but you can begin coming out tomorrow night. But on your way, or wherever you are, tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, you do not want to miss this. Alan Dershowitz has defended everyone from televangelist Jim Baker to um, probably the wife killer, Klaus von Bülow. He's an incredible sort of a guy. He teaches law at Harvard Law School, but he's written a kind of nasty book, I've got to say, a naughty book maybe, um, called Blasphemy. How the Religious Right Has Hijacked the Declaration of Independence. And he's talking about me, I think, or some of you. And uh, we need to answer it. We need to have an answer. He may be right about some things, but I'm convinced he's wrong about others. Dr. Richard Land will be here live tomorrow on the air. David Barton live on the air to refute, to rebut, to answer Alan Dershowitz. It's Jerry Johnson live with Pennedexter here at Criswell College. Don't miss tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.